my name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Members to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. I've found that it isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how we respond. Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. Today I'm talking with retired Battalion Chief Joe Washington. He spent 34 years in the fire service, four of those being uh, a firefighter in the Air Force, and 30 with Orange County Fire Rescue. He retired a couple of years ago, um, July 1st, 2018, and um, you told me that your your fire service career began with uh, with the Air Force, and I'm wondering, did you have uh, did you have any aspirations to do firefighting before you joined the Air Force? Not really. Um, I was either going to go and I was going to go in law enforcement, but then I started working at Disney World. As a matter of fact, I was a lifeguard at Disney World, so that's where I got my first experience in, in, in life safety, you know, CPR and all that type of stuff. I was what they called a recreation host. You know, I, I just had to get away from Orlando and uh, the Air Force was the quickest way out. <laughs> and uh, and I joined the fire department. Firefighting was the fastest I can get in with uh, within th- that time period, which was in 1982. Right. I was 22 years old. Were you born in Central Florida? Born and raised in here in Orlando, seeing Orlando go from orange groves and and to Disney World. I seen I drive. I grew up in Tangelo Park. In fact, my mother still lives in my childhood home. She's 93. I think I was in this like second grade. We we moved from Church Street uh, to Tangelo, and back in the 60s. You were living over there on Church Street in downtown Orlando. That church in Tampa. Okay. And the house that, that that house has been torn down. There's nothing there now. I think it's an empty lot. Yeah, that was the, back then. That was the uh, the Tangerine Bowl, yeah. and uh, the Orlando Panthers. They had a football team called Orlando Panthers. <laughs> in fact, when we moved to Tangelo. You know, that was kind of like a nice <laughs> neighborhood from the typical. Uh, African-American communities that was in Orlando, like Richmond Heights, Washington Shores, all that type of stuff. So Tangelo was further out. You had to drive out to get there. So a lot of the uh, Orlando Panthers football players stayed in Tangelo. But it was was cool growing up here. You said you had to get out of Orlando. I was a young man. I had a son when I was 19 years old. I was scheduled to go to FAMU, Florida A&M. Uh, one of my uh, mentors in Tangelo Park, his name was Robert Reed. He mentored me and he had me ready to go to FAMU on an art scholarship and track. Um, I was pretty fast. I got uh, my high school girlfriend pregnant. My mom said I had to stay home and take care of the kid. So that's why I got 
the job at Disney World in 1978. And then things didn't work out there. So I had to get out of Orlando. <laughs> so all my friends and my brothers and everybody was in that military. The ones that were successful, the other ones was, you know, just bad. I'm a pre preacher's kid. So my dad was a preacher. And um, so he kind of gave me my foundation of, you know, do the right thing for the right reason. You know, don't never trust everybody for what they word is. You know, he taught me to be, to be the man that I am, really. And uh, my mother was just a hard worker. You know, she worked, at, she cleaned uh, houses. And um, then they built Disney World. And she was a housekeeper at Disney for years. In fact, she still gets, she got stock and she, she get tickets and everything to go to Disney right now. That's kind of the childhood that I came from, you know, so it was it was tough, and, but it was fun at the same time. So when I say I had to get out of Orlando to stay from keeping the falling in the traps of some of the other kids in the community, you know, I, I, I joined the Air Force and became a firefighter. And before that, I had tried to become a OPD, Robert Reed, tried to hook me up with Orlando Police Department, <clears throat> but I knew nothing of the fire department other than, you know, the, we used to visit the fire department out there in Tangelo 52, matter of fact, it was probably district days back then, you know, well, it was district days. That's pretty much my childhood though. It, it was fun. And then the Air Force was even a, a greater experience. The day I got off the, uh, the recruitment bus in 1982, and, and I know this subject is on leadership, and I think I was always meant to be a leader because everything when I played football and sports and everything, I was always the captain and things of that sort, you know. So when I went in the military, uh, the, as soon as like, we got off the bus and they line you up and all the, um, the TIs, the training instructors are in your face yelling at you, you know, hey, boy, what you doing here, all that kind of crap. And me just being the person that I was from and where I was from, you know, I'm like, hey, sir, excuse me, you need to back up. You're too close. You're in, you're in my space, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and oh, you're smart. I said, no, sir, I'm not a smart, smart ass, but where I'm from, when, when people are that close to you, either they want to do something to you or, 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 or we, you know, it, it's, it's, no, it's not necessary for you to be that close. They backed up and they, they moved on to the next guy. You know, and then when we got to the barracks where they checked in, they called me in the office and they say, boom, you're a squad leader. <laughs> we want you to be a squad leader. I was the oldest in because I went in kind of late. Most of the kids were 19, 20. I was 22. Uh, they made me a squad leader, you know, and then, and then even when I my first assignment, I got promoted below the zone, you know, and then I went to England and they put me in charge of the, um, alarm room where you dispatch when the when the planes are coming in emergency and hot and stuff like that you have to dispatch the fire department so i and i know what trucks i knew every aircraft in the aircraft they have a, a to for that you know so it was pretty cool tell me about your siblings my siblings well i'm the fifth of seven kids and my mother every one of us are um successful um, I have uh, one brother, my oldest brother, he's a uh, architectural engineer. He works for Tico Gas. He designs the, the gas system and he learned that craft. He was in the army 
and he was a, 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 a draftsman. <laughs> well, they had the GI Bill, and he, he took a class to be a draftsman, and he started at Tico. He's been there over 40 years. You wow. know, it was people's gas at first. Then I got a, another brother. He lives in Lakeland. He was a Navy guy, and he uh, he he's retired. He's been all over the place. He, he stayed Navy most of the time, and then he got out. He managed restaurants and that type of stuff. My youngest brother, he's the, um, he works for CXX, the railroad right now. And mm. he's getting retired. He's an mm. army guy. My mm. oldest brother and him are mm. army and I'm the, I'm the air force guy. But then I got three sisters. Uh, two of them um, are retired school teachers. My oldest sister, Cheryl, she, uh, she's married to, I don't know if you know Bobby Scott, DJ. Uh, he's a orange, he was an Orange County firefighter, one of the first black firefighters worked for the city of Orlando. Uh, I'll tell you about him later on. I, I met him at um, at uh, Edenville when I got out of the Air Force. I was a firefighter at Edenville first, you know. But that's another whole story. So, <laughs> but but anyway, she's she's retired from Orange County Public Schools, and then my sister Katie is retired from um, from Miami Dade Public Schools. And then my youngest sister, she's married to a photographer. She really never hardly really had to work, you know, but, but uh, so she was, she married into a good husband. I'll put it that way. You know, it took, she was a housewife most of the time. So, but, but that's pretty much all my siblings. So all of us are successful. And like I said, I'm the fifth or seven, five or fifth or seven, yeah. Your father was uh, a pastor. I'm guessing uh, the church was probably nearby Tangelo Park. No, uh, my father was what they call an AME. He was an AME preacher, and they have regions. And we, he didn't stay at churches long. They would, you know, move him around. And most of the time, the longest church I think we were at was in Webster, Florida. But we had, he had a church in St. Augustine, uh, Titusville, Mims. Coleman, Bushnell, uh, Micanopy, Florida, Evanston, Florida, by Gainesville. I mean, we were everywhere. And every Sunday, you know, all the way until I got 14 years old, we had to go to church. And we would load all the kids up in the car and go to church. Then my brothers got old enough to drive and put us in separate cars. We drive two cars because there were seven of us. <laughs> you know, and the kids got to go home and mom and dad stayed for the business part of the church. But yeah, that was the, yeah, I'm a PK. PK? P Preacher's kid. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and they said PKs are pretty bad, but, you know, my brother, my, my brother's Chief Graham, you know Chief LeBron Graham, right? So mm -hmm. his, his dad was an AME preacher as well down south. So they, so it's a big deal. If you did your history on the AME Church, you 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 you'll be educated. We were kind of the laid back uh, ministry type instead of Pentecostal. You know, they're more common. What What does AME stand for? African Methodist Episcopal. I'm I'm just curious. How How did your father end up being a preacher? I have no idea. He was a preacher when I was born. <laughs> so okay. um, I know his father in ministry. It's a church over off of uh, Columbia in Orlando, Columbia and Bruton Boulevard over there. 
that's the church he was, um, he came out of as a minister, as a young minister. And then a, a preacher named Reverend L.L. Johnson was his person to bring him into the ministry. He, like I said, I, was, I got four other siblings before me. So he was already a preacher. He was a preacher for 50 years. And i never forget when my dad passed, uh, it was in 1993. I was at Carl Holmes Executive Development Institute of Tallahassee FAMU, you know, learning to be an executive in the fire service. And I was still a firefighter because as a firefighter, you couldn't get in the, in, into the um, EDI program up at Emmitsburg. You could, so uh, it was tough. So they started, the black firefighters started this thing. So as long as I was up there, and I got the call that my uh, father passed and uh, he was in a nursing home with, with Alzheimer's. And um, the same week I got promoted to staff lieutenant. And I had just took the test for what they called a uh, performance-based interview. It was something new. You, you got When I started with Orange County Fire, you gotta remember it was only like seven, eight years old. I started June 13, 1988. Orange County Fire Rescue was established in 1981. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, it was like real news, you know, so they didn't know how to promote people. They, I mean, it just, it, was, it wasn't any real structure there yet. You know, they were going off of each little district and how they operated over there. And it was, you know, just chaos. They gave this performance-based interview test and that's how I got promoted to staff lieutenant. Me and about five other people. They did lieutenants, captains, and things of that sort. But it was part of their progression, you know, in terms of diversifying the department, uh, making administration division, and things of that sort, you know, because they, as long as they had operations, you know, they think a lot of people think that's just the backbone of the, of the fact that that's the end result of a lot of work that goes on in, a, in an organization like a fire department. You know, that's the, to me, that's the easy part. And you learned that when you came to headquarters. So, so. But now, in four and a half years, I was put at headquarters. So you did four years in the Air Force. When when you got out of the Air Force, what uh, what rank did you hold? I was a E4, a senior airman. I would say, what bases did you uh, were you stationed at? I primarily did two bases. If you count text, if you count. Um, basic training, I went to San Antonio, Texas, and then I left San Antonio, Texas, San Antonio, Texas and went to um, uh, Chanute Air Force Base, which is in Rantoul, Illinois. They probably closed it down by now. This was in the 80s, and, uh, 1982. And then um, I left there and went to McConnell Air Force Base, Wichita, Kansas. They had the... Um, the aircraft there was F-4s and the um, KC-135, which is a, a refueling wing, you know, and they had B-52s and then Boeing was right across the, the flight line. So the Air Force was on this side and Boeing, uh, where they build planes was on the other side, you know. So when like a, a B-52 or any aircraft had issues and, and it's a boring aircraft, they could bring them there to get them uh, serviced and stuff like that. For those of the, uh, those people listening that that aren't 
familiar with what um, Eatonville is. Eatonville is the oldest, oldest established black community in the state of Florida. Um, if it goes back and forth about a debate in America. Because what is I think the other- the science is America. Yeah, but there's another community because there's another one that that they think is that I've heard is the oldest community. But growing up, I I was told or taught that it was Eatonville because I grew up. Yeah, I grew up. Um, I don't know a mile from Eatonville, right over there okay. by Station Forty One. Oh, okay. That's that's about two miles because. That's that was you know when I worked at Forty One, you know that was in our first Duke, you know. Yeah. And and, and matter of fact, Edenville is how I became a Orange County firefighter. And and so that's where I wanted to go with that. Can you can you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about your time with Edenville Fire Department? Yeah, Edenville. Like I say, when I got out of the military, I had only crash experience. So because I left. Disney World as a lifeguard. I got my job back as a lifeguard at Walt Disney World. You know, I got to keep my seniority and everything, you know. They put me on military leave. So I had that job when I got out of the military. And I wanted to explore about being a firefighter here. I went to um, minimum standards. I had, so I went out to the fire college. That's when I, I had to do 200 some hours of minimum standards. And part of that, I met some firefighters over that worked at Edenville and they kind of got, got me hired. The guy, uh, Bill Griffin, um, he's a retired Orlando firefighter. Most of the, the only firefighters that you really knew was Orlando. And I didn't know, I don't know if you ever heard of Andy Mitchell. And Andy Mitchell was like the first black firefighter for the, Orange County. And he was a firefighter that lived in Tangelo Park. And Mr. Only, I don't know if you know Tom Only, he lived in Tangelo Park. I knew they were firefighters, but I, you know, I didn't know until after I got out of the Air Force that, that where I really paid any attention to him, you know, where I gave him energy. The, the fire service had always been around me, but when I worked at Edenville, Orange County, they kind of did, getting ready to dissolve Edenville's fire department and Orange County was going to take it over. Chief Wegraff, Huck Wegraff was on the project of, of bringing everybody who worked at Orange County, at, at Edenville onto or, or Orange County. A bunch of these cats worked over there, you know, it was like, but it was only two people on the, on the unit and you got to drive the fire truck and everything. So once I got my minimum standards, but everybody over there, they gave a job in Orange County. And then at the end, when everything's about to go into effect, Eville backed out. But guess what? I had a job with Orange County. All of us did. Wow. <laughs> you know, and then right after I got that, then the city of Orlando tried to hire me. Reedy Creek tried to hire me. You know, everybody was trying to get you. But I wouldn't, I, some of the cats left and went to uh, those other municipalities, but I, I stayed with Orange County. Me and Joe were to take the only two that really stayed with Orange County. The rest of them went to Maitland, um, Orlando, places like that, Seminole County, Castleberry, 
made that transition to, to Orange County and you talked about uh, being promoted to a, a staff lieutenant. You, you worked your way up. At one point, you were holding the position of fire marshal, which is like uh, an assistant chief position. Correct. Um, now, I, I, I feel like I should do a little bit of clarification. I should have done a better job when I introduced you. You and I worked together on several projects. I would consider you to be to be a very good friend, but that friendship developed from you mentoring me. You know, at that time I was working a lot on developing the leadership program and your experience with leadership I believe that you and I have very similar mindsets, very similar philosophies where, you know, if you have something of value that can help somebody else um, grow, it's really your responsibility, your obligation to, to share that with them and help them grow. And that's what you did for me. You shared everything that you had uh, on leadership with me. Yeah, and that's, um, I was telling my son last night that I was going to be doing this today, and uh, he said, so dad, what kind of leader are you? And I said, well, you know, I'm a participatory leader. However, you know, that, that's, that's my, my leadership style, is participatory. I say my responsibility is to make everybody under me better than me. Now, as a, my management style is a little participatory and I could be authoritarian as well when I have to be. I say I'm very seldom a, um, a kind of passive person, you know, I'm only going to follow somebody that's going to make me better. So if you're not going to make me better, I'll listen to you. But I'm not, it's nothing that you could give me. And, and trust me, everybody got something to give somebody if they would just take the time to, to evaluate themselves, you know. But just like you say, you and I, that's why me and you kind of, it was easy for me to communicate to you because you're like a sponge. You want to you wanna do the best job that you can. And it's my responsibility to give you the tools to do that with, without, you know, trying to, you know, make myself look good or anything like that. There was a, a philosophy I learned in the executive development program that I was in. There's no limit to what can be accomplished if it doesn't matter who gets the credit. You can, you can accomplish the world. I don't need accolades. I get my accolades when I'm up in heaven. That's my reward. And then there was another statement that they had that say, all that I am, I owe. You know, everything that I am, I order somebody because somebody taught me to be the person that I am, you know, starting all the way back to Reverend Washington, you know, my dad. So, yeah, that, that pretty much my leadership style is or philosophy is participatory. I got to make you better. And my management style is a little different, though. It's a, it's a compass of them all, <laughs> you know. There were so many lessons that you taught me and not in a direct fashion. It was just how detailed you are with with thing with projects that you developed programs that you developed i i mean 
You're very, very humble, very unassuming. You do the work, you, and it's always phenomenal. Like that was just, and you just like, oh, that's no big deal. But it was always very, very high level. And I just, you and I both know that in the fire service, it's a lot of machismo. People, you know, want to stick their chest out and like, yeah, I did this. Mm-hmm. And you were never, ever like that. You And what you just said about that philosophy that you can accomplish so much more when it doesn't matter who gets the credit. Right. And, and so you were never attention seeking. You just did awesome work. And, and that was what was so, what kept me so humble because safety, man, that safety thing, I took that very, very seriously. And that, and when I see people disrespecting the system, like a lot of times I would get challenged, man, like, Joe, you don't miss the field, you know? And I say, no, because my responsibility is bigger than just Mr. and Mrs. Smith. To me, I got to make sure you guys go home at the end of the day. And I took that very, very seriously. Man, you, from Plogger to, to Fitz, man, I got chewed out so many times by things that other people did, not I did it, because you get hurt. Why did you let that happen on your watch, Joe? <laughs> so I had to be humble because I needed you to, to listen to me and follow the policies. And most of the safety policies I wrote are still there right now today. A lot of people don't even know. Yeah. Chief Plogger came to the office and just threw an um, accountability board with the tags and all that stuff on my desk. Put this in the department. TJ Line is going to be your contact. I had to go, I had to make the tags, I had to make the board, I had to do all that stuff. I didn't do it all in the house, but it started with me going down to the trophy shop to get them to build a little plexiglass board with the stuff on the tags and all that type of stuff. And then I had to write the policy on how to use it. And then TJ get the, <laughs> get the sign, you know, but he was the chief of operations, you know, but but they, they made me do it, you know, it, it, it was good, you know. Yeah, safety officer, safety program, same thing. I want safety captains, or safety lieutenants back then. Write the program. We hear some guys gonna help you do it, you know. And they did the same thing. The wellness program, brought the yeah. book in. Bam, here, make it happen. He gave me Rick Sears. <laughs> Here's your guy <laughs> that's gonna help you with it, you know. Yeah. And we just we just put our brains together, put the stuff out there, and, and bam, that, you have what you have today. And when he brought you up there and, you know, and, and I knew, I knew you, I worked with your dad. Your dad is a great guy, you know, probably had saw you when you was a kid, you know, and didn't even really <laughs> know you was going to be a firefighter, <laughs> you know, but that's the, those guys over at the office of the fire marshal, you know, they, they, they taught me something as well. When I was like a, just a little staff lieutenant trying to write the future of the whole agency, the way it is today. Talk to me a little bit about the people that, that influenced your career? Maybe they were in the fire service themselves or maybe even outside of the fire service, but- um, Well, you know. it's a lot of it's a lot of that. And 
the 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 keys to the actual foundation. Uh, remember me mentioned to you about uh, uh, with Bill Griffin and uh, the city of Orlando, and he was a, a, a get off of work at Luke, as a lieutenant at Orlando Fire Department. He would put his computer in the trunk of his car. And when he get to Edenville, he unloads his computer, hook it all up in the fire station. Cause Edenville didn't have no computers and all that stuff. Nobody hardly had computers back then. But that guy right there, he told me, you need to learn this machine. This, cause this is gonna be the future. So that's what made me so savvy with computers and stuff. It started with Bill Griffin. When I had learned to navigate through the um, interviews and things of that sort, I was a firefighter at Station 41. My lieutenant was Trivet, Jim Trivet. And that's how I met your dad, because the inspectors used to ride out of Station 41. They remember they had they had a little office building back there where the battalion chief and the inspectors were, were at. Lieutenant uh, Trivet and Lieutenant Wathan, those two guys, they knew I was smart. Because, I mean, the first shift I got hired with Orange County, and they sent me to 41. I was driving the truck that day because I, I drove with them when they responded with us in Edenville. So they knew I knew how to operate a fire truck. They needed a driver that day. And this is, you know, my first shift, I'm driving a fire truck. Nowadays, you know, that's, you know, you got to yeah. wait during a year before you can drive a fire truck. So that's why I say the department was new. But those guys sent me, they were, they, to this chief named Montez Dioka. I don't know if you ever heard that name. Yes. Um, he taught me how to navigate through the, uh, the policies and things of that sort to learn how to do a performance interview and to sell your, your, your craft, your resume. And that's how I ended up get, making that list because nobody thought we was going to get promoted, man. I've been on four and a half years. You know, how am I going to get promoted to Lieutenant? They already got somebody picked for that job. And I got the job. And then another influence was uh, when I got promoted to that job, uh, Chief Floyd, and then uh, most definitely, you know, Chief Fitzgerald was like my, um, anytime he would get in a hole or anything like that, and he needed help to somebody to manage the program to get it out of or whatever, it could be, it was something like inventory, our inventory screwed up one time, Joe, fix the inventory. I came with an inventory tracking system that they still use today. You know, we did take our SCBA shop. I need an SCBA shop to go to. So me and Fitz, Fitz, you know, he trusted me. And that's the main thing that um, can really get you successful. And you get, and you, when you say it's kind of, um, the fire service comes out, it can be a little competitive is the word I'll say. You know, people say, you know, it's racism or this or that or that. It's just competitiveness. You know, somebody, you know, the, and the higher you get, the more competitive it, it becomes, you know. And if you're not confident in yourself, who else is going to believe in you? So um, I just learned to just do the best job I could and as quick as I could. And, and you got to trust people. You know, and if, if, you know, everybody think it's your, they say your brother, but are you really a brother? Why would you jam me up like this, you know? You mentioned the the program that you, uh, you went to the executive leadership. Carl Holmes, exec, the Carl Holmes Executive Development Institute. 
And it was created by black firefighters back in 91, 92. It started at FAMU. I'm not real familiar with the black firefighters organization. Is it the black, the professional black firefighter or what is it called? They call it the IABPFF, International Association of Black Professional Firefighters. It's not a union and everybody has a responsibility to help bring the next guy up. So, so this organization, it, its main purpose is to really support black firefighters and, and uh, help them establish themselves and grow within the fire service. Right, and, and to, for them to give back to their community. You know, most of, most of them come from the black community, you know what I mean? Right all over America, you know, it's just, that's the way it is. Now, and it's you an international and I, You and I worked on a recruitment program and we were working on like community um, explorer programs. And because really by and large, uh, the makeup of the fire service in the United States is predominantly white male. And a lot of that is, you know, I mean, in the early days of the fire service, it was because of racial prejudice. Now, as we move into the more recent history of the fire service, there's still prejudice, there's still racism in the fire service. It depends on the the department that you're talking about. Uh, And maybe even like the, the area of the country that you're in. But I was just wondering, you know, I've, I've spoken with a couple of other uh, black firefighters. One of them, uh, you know, uh, Dario Donahue, he was one of my first guests. And we discussed that kind of, uh, well, just really the, to help me understand, but also to help the listeners understand that really have never walked in the shoes of a black man or black woman. I don't know if you feel comfortable talking about it. Maybe well, some of your experiences. It, but it is as a black man, it's in every aspect of your life. You know, just period, you know, anything you do. When I went in the military, you know, I, I it was it was there, you know, then, you know, I had I literally had a sergeant make me for real get on the, the crash truck and scrabble with a tool toothbrush because I was back his name Billy Wayne all day I'll never forget him <laughs> you know he really made me do that and in the military they give you order you have to do it and then complain about it later <laughs> and then you know but so so in the fire service you know and that's like when I was telling you about how I got promoted on that test and and man guys called me on affirmative action promotion and things that sort of that I don't deserve it and and this thing, you know, but God puts you in a place to, to for a reason. Somebody, like I say, all that I am, I owe. Somebody had to take some licks, you know, for me to get where I was. I try not to see color, you know, in that regard, but but the policies and things that, you know, sometimes we write, sometimes they were a little racist, you know, like when we write the SOPs about braids in your hair and stuff. That's That's isolating one person, really, that you're trying to prevent from doing something so I would always kind of like give my 
opinion and, you know, in a trustworthy, you could take it with a grain of salt, but I know in the situations where the department was doing some things that may have made a citizen uncomfortable. You know, they had trusted me to send me there to calm Mrs. Smith down where they had seen some racist stuff. Man, I've seen a lot of racist stuff in the private stuff, man. It, it's, it's just, like I said, they used to call me on a firm advice, the same guys that, you know, I fought with, you know. And I'm like, man, if somebody offered you a $10,000 a year raise, you you wouldn't take it? Opportunity for me. And then when they put me in the job, I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm going to give it 110. There's no reason to complain about how I do it. I and mean, you, anybody could do any job with the proper training. Mm -hmm. If you got the willing to, to open your mind up to learning, you know, it's not like they will put a lot of emphasis on you're not combat rated. Hell, I'm a firefighter. <laughs> Just by that title alone on combat rated, I probably don't seen way more. If I don't seen plane crashes and I had to go run in there and put it out. We used to like <laughs> 20,000 gallons of fuel on fire in a pit, you know, every month. And I had to go in there without an air pack and, and, and put the fire out, you know? So, you know, that was in the military, you know? So I'm not combat rated. I guarantee you if I had to get out of this desk and go in there in that fire, which you, you, you'd be glad I'm with you. It's just stuff like that. They, they institutionalize and, and try to go back and try to think they fixing it or whatever. Just trying to keep, keep it moving forward, man. Don't try not to dwell on the past and just look at each other as, as, as human beings, man. You know, it's just like, I, I know when you came to headquarters, you had never been on days before. You the chief's aide. Do you know how important that job is, you know? And, and I let you know how important that job is. And I also let you know how much power you had as well and how much kind of influence you can make from that position. You know, those cats out there riding backwards on the fire truck or, or even in the front cab in the seat didn't have the influence that you had on the agency. And it's my responsibility, like you say, to, to give you the tools you need to be successful in that job. It's not to get to try to diminish how you got there. You're there, you know. Now let's all succeed. You know, yeah. don't try to bring them down because you don't agree with how he got there or whatever. You know. One of the things that was really, I mean, and I'm still growing with this, but when you and I were working on the recruitment program, I mean, I, I mean, I was well aware that there's, uh, you know, not a lot of African-Americans in the fire service. And a lot of that is because the fire service tends to recruit from within, you know, fathers to son and, you know, uncles to nephew that, you know, aunts to nieces, that sort of thing. And if you don't have well, and the other thing is, is that if an individual doesn't feel as though they're valued as much as the next person, how likely are they going to be to tell their child that this is a great career for you? They'll steer them to something where they could be more successful and experience that. I'm curious what advice you would give to a young black man or young black woman that that may be considering a career in the fire service. I got a lot of them out there right now. That's the one young kid that's up on the billboard on 441. Mr. The HR advisor, I won't call his name, but bring, he would bring black kids in there to my office, you know, all the time. And, and one thing that, you know, 
I would always tell them if you are, you got to let me know that you're serious because this is serious. This is a serious job. People's life depends on what you're getting ready to do. So if you demonstrate to me that you're serious, I'll be serious with you. And I, I tear down every wall and barrier that I can for you to help you succeed. But it's not easy. I would tell them, you don't give up. Don't give up. If you fail the first time, get up, brush yourself off. All of us fail before we succeeded. I don't know anybody that didn't fall at least once. Life is not a bed of roses. You know, you're not born, you know, just just float through life. It's, you know, it's easy. You're going to have setbacks. So just, just be confident, stay focused. Do your research on who you want to work for. You know, a lot of uh, kids, you know, they would take it for granted that you could work for Orange County and you probably could go get a job over at Akoi, one of the smaller municipalities, Winter Park. Orange County is a big, 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 big ship, you know, and it turns very, very slow, but the people go through it pretty fast. And you know that what I know when we used to bring those recruit classes in, we had to come up with a system to fill because when I was hired, they hired uh, about 28 other people with me, 28, it was a class of 30 or so when I got hired, you know, and when you got big groups going out, you got to have big groups coming in and then you're growing with station-wise the same way. So. It's always going to be an open pipeline, but if they got to be serious about the job and then if, if they're serious and then they take it serious, just stick with your guns. You got, you can't give up. Don't give up. And that's on anything other than just firefight. Any, if you got dreams, man, you know, um, go for your dreams. If your situation gets a little difficult, like in, in my case, you know, I'm 22 years old. I got a little boy and my mom, and I didn't go to college like I was supposed to, you know, I had to go find a way. I didn't give up and I stumbled on the fire service, you know, <laughs> pretty much in the Air Force as a firefighter. That's, a, that's how I stumbled upon it. And then I stumbled into uh, Orange County called Eveville, you know. And um, and when you when you get up when you get an opportunity, just take advantage of the opportunity. God has opened a door for you. He's only going to open that crack for a little while now. So if you don't take advantage of it, he's going to close on you. So that's the way you kind of look at it. I want to pose like a a scenario here, hypothetical situation, where your um, say you're the fire chief of a large metropolitan fire department and you've got a very big budget i i don't even want to put a number on it just uh if there if there was anything anything that you could do to improve the fire service in the united states and you're in this very large department that you know the the united states is looking at you know you're leading the way um, and, and you're making some choices to improve the fire service beginning with your department, what changes would you like to see implemented in the fire service? And a lot of, and this was my 
project when I went to the um, the uh, executive development, the uh, the, the national uh, EDI program, executive development program. I always we got to do a better succession planning. The next man up, you know, just like the military, you know, you got to have just in football, you got to have second string. You know, you, you, they, they're, they're just as important. The bench is always important as, 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 the, as the, uh, the, the starters. The fire service don't do a good job on, on the bench. They're getting better. They're getting better. But it needs to be. And I think you and I were working on a succession plan at one point, weren't we? Yeah, but that 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 is that that is the 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 weakness, and that's why we keep recycling old chiefs. You know, I shouldn't be I shouldn't have to go back in the fire service. But if, if that 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 guy who I put behind me, you know, to to take my spot, he should if he ever runs into something, he should be able to call me and I give him advice. You know that that so so. I don't need to come back there to work or run a department for you. You know, that, that's not that's not my goal. But uh, I think if we did a better job of succession planning, that way, it, you know, you can keep this ship moving. It, you know, and I know it's, it's a challenge because it's always about staffing. It's about money. You know, you got union contracts and all that type of stuff, you know, testing, you know, so people, you know, just put barriers and barriers and barriers. But the bottom line, we need to figure it out and and have the the the, the second team is ready to go because everybody, it, you know as well as I know, everybody aren't great leaders, great managers, or great supervisors, you know, because they they it's just how they were taught. And if we do a better job of teaching, that 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 will relieve that and and kind of keep good things going. Just like what you're doing now, you know. Since you've retired, I, I know you've had your hands in, in quite a few different things. Uh, do you care to talk about some well, of them? I, I was, I don't know, as part of getting promoted, you know, I, I got a degree, I got a bachelor's degree in uh, business management. That's where I got a lot of my presentation skills and, and you know, doing the different, uh, working with the various Excels and the different programs, tracking budgets and all that type of stuff. But marketing, man, is the best tool I think I got out of getting going to school is marketing. And, and so my first little job I had, I was working for this company, 1-800-BOARD-UP. They market to the fire department. They're after a citizen's home is destroyed or they have a bad day is the way I put it. Um, there's companies that come at the, the victims to try to get their, to rebuild their, their homes. And 1-800-BOARD-UP is supposed to be a, a, a nice company that comes in and we're not going to rip you off. And, and, and most of them, they don't do it. So I took a job doing that. And, and part of it, it was going around to the fire stations because you're going to show up on scene. And by me being a retired chief officer with the largest municipality in the area, a lot of people knew me. So they would let me in on the scene, introduce me to the victims, you know, so it was a, a pathway to 
to that person. So I did that for a while. I'm still kind of, you know, waiting on that. I'm on hold for a minute with them. But in the meantime, while I was working with them, I went over to the Children's Safety Village because the company has to promote so many community events. One of my little protégés, Lieutenant Afrifa, I know runs the works over there with the Children's Safety Village. So I said, that'd be a good charity for them to, to support, you know? And so I went over there and met the young man. But long story short, the company I was with was going through some growing pains and uh, they, Brent needed some help, you know? over there with the Children's Safety Village. So I'm over there now helping him get ready for post-COVID because these kids got to come out and, and the children, I don't know if you know what the Children's Safety Village is, but the Children's Safety Village is a um, it's literally a village where they teach child safety on railroad crossing, um, gun safety, fire safety. They have a, a home built out there on the property that has like outlets where they tell you don't do this or, or or hot stuff that you can't touch that. And the school, public school system brings their kids there for field trips to learn the fire safety, the pool safety, drowning, they have a swimming pool on site to teach that. So it's a, it's a really nice safety program. And with my safety background, you know, if I could protect firefighters, you know I could protect the little babies. So, so I'm out there helping Brent there on a temporary basis, you know, until uh, his thing come back. And then who knows what the, what the future holds for me after that. I would like to go a little bit deeper into your background as the safety and wellness chief, because a, a lot of the, the programs that you worked on, that you developed, served as models for the fire service. And... I'm just wondering if there is a particular program that you're most proud of and maybe one that um, you wish you had done better. And that might be tough. Well, I always say anything. I, <laughs> I'm a perfectionist. The one I'm pretty pr proud of, and, and it wasn't just me, you know, um, I there were some great guys as part of my team, you know, and, and especially Chief Seegers, you know, and then, and you know, my, my buddy, Tony Willis, you know, that, that guy, he'll move a mountain for me. But um, most proud program, to be honest with you, is I didn't get to see it to fruition, but it was the, um, it was the cancer, firefighter cancer. I'm a cancer survivor. A lot of people don't know that. You know, um, I don't believe it was because of Orange County fire. I believe it was more because of <laughs> the United States Air Force on, on the protection that we use just based on the research that I know now on how unprotected I was breathing contaminated jet fuel and, and foam and, you know, that soot coming off of that jet fuel with no air pack on, you know, who knows what else I got, <laughs> you know. That um, cancer research was really, really near and dear to me. And and I, I really wanted, it, it came to fruition after, you know, they finally passed the law to, to recognize firefighter cancer. But, but that was, that was one of the, the um, 
things, you know, I wish I could have done quicker, you know, but um, there was a lot of different programs. I was telling um, the, my uh, kids last night about, you know, I never forget it when one of the firefighters got hit by a car and they were, they were looking, laughing at the commercial about move over law. I said, I was a part of that move over law when it first came, you know, cause you know, the guy got, one of our firefighters got hit. If you, as the safety chief, if you, if you feel that you've, and, and they, you know, and, and, it's, and it's okay that they put the pressure on you to be that, that guy you know, to take the, the, the responsibility if someone gets hurt. And, the, but you gotta have the, the discernment of that to correct it so it won't happen to someone else. You know, how to write the reports, how to change the policy. And that's why, you know, like a lot of post-incidentist analysis and things of that sort, when you, when the safety chief comes in, you, you analyzing what everybody's saying, you know, and then you say, okay, we need, this is what we need to fix, you know, just by, listening so but but the, the most the, the safety program is is a huge huge umbrella just by itself it covered every department in the whole uh, fire department and everybody had to go through safety some kind of way it, all, it always touched somebody so so managing that and, and 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 facilitating that program and again most of the stuff that they do today is you know just you know uh, it, was, it didn't even exist when I was promoted back in 2001. To say that, that's that's a, a, a always moving target. In other words, you know, it's, so it's it's never uh, it's never finished because it's, it's always something. You know, just like COVID right now. One of the things that I, I try and touch on in in every episode is really like lessons learned, something that that was profound to you where maybe you fell flat on your face and it was either sink or swim at that point and uh you chose to swim you dust yourself off you realize that you know that didn't kill me it didn't ruin me it made my life a little difficult right now but i'm going to be better for it and you push forward and and you turn that experience into something good and i and i really believe that that's that's all about mindset. That's mentality of persevering through adversity. And I, I just, I don't know that I've ever asked this question before, but I thought about it quite a bit is African-American men and women in the United States have faced adversity that, you know, I don't know, I can't relate to it because I'm white. And I, and I realize that there, there's experiences that you've had and, and some of my peers have had that I just can't relate to. Um, but one thing that I can relate to is persevering through, through adversity and to, to know that I know that you've faced adversity in your life and you've pushed through and, you know, I, I believe that you're the man that you are 
because of your upbringing and because of your experiences. And that served me well when you mentored me. So I just am curious, like, you know, I, you're human. I know you've made mistakes. Lots of them, lots of them. And some of some of not even in as a black man, you're easy target. So people people who wants to try to like I say uh, make a bad day for you and and probably the worst experience I had was uh, when uh, when when Chief Jones was first came here and Chief Plogger had moved me to the office of the fire marshal as the fire marshal. He put me over there to learn. So when Dan Kusick retired, the fire marshal retired, you know, I take his place. I didn't want to go. I don't want to go down there with those people. They bad people, you know, they all got negative attitudes. It's just, well, we need you to bring them in line with the rest of the organization. And uh, so I, I went, you know, and, but those people, they turned on me. And for a moment, I thought the department had turned on me because how they treated me during that period of while I was under investigation, you know, for some things that, that is like, so out of my character, you know, that, you know, it's like, come on, you know, y'all, y'all gonna try to pin these charges on that guy, <laughs> you know, and it was an easy uh, battle for them, but, you know, I, I treat everybody fair, man, and, you know, and, and for them not to trust me, the fact that I'm out to harm them, never in a million years would I do anything to harm you, so why would you try to harm me, you know, and I, and, and the fire chief, you know, I got put in time out until the cases was resolved and all that type of stuff. And then he came, he gave me recruitment. He said, reestablish this program back in the department. And that was my parachute to, to keep me from falling fast, you know. And then when Rick retired, they put me back in safety where, you know, where I pretty much started. <laughs> you know, um, and so I got to finish my career there. But my big, that, that Office of the Fire Marshal was one of the biggest challenges that I had in my fire service career because no matter how nice you were, could be to those people, they just they just looked at the glass half empty all the time. And, and it, it was a, a, a huge, huge, huge challenge to try to change that culture over there to come in line with the rest of the agency. But I, and I, I think it's getting there. I don't even know if they're there. I think there's still a few people around that's, that's, that's part of that culture. But uh, that, was, that was the worst thing. And, and because I was a black man, it made it easier for them to say that I did these things. You know what I'm saying? It made them more comfortable. He's a black guy. You know, he, he, he's, he's, he's hostile. You know, he, he talks to us. He does this, you know, but that's not my demeanor. If you know me, you know, why you, you this professional say, what are you doing here? All we ever hear about Chief Washington is a good thing. If you ask anybody about me in Orange County government, it's always positive. 
never negative. You know, so but that was a, probably about the worst trouble I ever got in my 30 year career. That's right there. But like you say, I got up, brushed myself off. You know, by that time I was getting ready to go and drop anyway, so it, it wasn't too much damage they could do to me anyway. So. Now, how did that? How did that make you feel? Like being being targeted like that, and and just well, like I say. I knew they were bad people, and but I thought I could change it. So, what made me feel bad? I, I I don't really tell a lot of people this, but you know when 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 Chief Droz told me that he was moving me out of that position, how he, how it happened, it 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 kind of you know it was. I felt you could have called me in and told me face to face and tell me why you were doing it. But he didn't know me. You know, he had only been there a few months. So I respected that. And a matter of fact, I respected it so much. I went to him face to face and told him, Chief, you could have did that a little different. And that's why he always had the respect that he had for me, you know, because I mean, I'm a man first, you know, and, and, you know, if I, if, 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 and, and I understood, you know, his role and what he had to do. And based on the, the allegations, you know, he, he's got to react. But, and, I, and I honestly believe if he had knew me better, he probably would have did it a little different. But because he was so new, he did it the way he felt comfortable with. I mean, that's understandable. But, but again, that was one that, that made me feel a little bad, but I corrected it, you know. And if, if me and you have a disagreement, you know, some people I can go to and say, hey, Dave, I, 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 that was wrong. You know, you shouldn't have did that, that, that. And then, oh, Chief, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that or whatever. And we move on. You know, but some people, you know, just don't do that. You know, but, but that's all part of being mature and growing up and, and being an adult. And this is up to you whether you want to share it or not. I mean, we both know that it was all unfounded. But what uh, do you care telling what accusations were made? Sexual harassment, hostile work environment, and impersonating a fire official. Now, because I wasn't, because I wasn't a certified inspector, they so they say I'm forcing the inspectors to pass buildings and then making them sign off on it, you know, because I couldn't sign off on it. And so I was impersonating a, a fire official. And the, and the hostility was me making them do that. And, and then one female over there said that I looked at her inappropriately or something. None of it was, none of it was, yeah. was, yeah, it was all squashed away. Cause that's just not me. Yeah, and I think it was uh, the people that know you. All of them were just like, "Are you freaking kidding me? Like, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna treat this man like that." Everybody knew it was a bunch of BS, and to give it any credence. It, you know, I know they got to do what they got to do when accusations are made, but 
Man. What a kick in the gut. You know, to be yeah, but to be the kind of man that you are and to have carried yourself through your entire career holding these high standards, you have a reputation that is well established and some knucklehead can make a couple of uh, accusations and they're gonna they're gonna move you. Kinda and, and and that's what I when I told you earlier, the, the higher you go, the bigger target you become. And then when you're a black man on top of that, you're an easier target. So you you, you kind of have to walk gingerly. I you know, I, I didn't fraternize a whole lot. I didn't, you know, I don't so and today I still don't really socialize with a lot of people, you know, other than, you know, um, a couple guys. It's it's a it's a messed up world out there where people are just just vindictive and hate hateful, you know, and just want to see somebody do bad instead of want to see them succeed. My thing is, I I'm gonna succeed, you know. I'm covered by the blood, you know. My father, like I said, I'm a PK, I'm a preacher kid. So my mother, man, my mother is a, a prayer prayer person, boy, I know her prayers done saved me many, many times from stuff, <laughs> you know, that I done got jammed up. I, I've never, I've never been, a, I was arrested one time, once. I was 14 years old, never forget. My mom and them gone to church. We home. Me and my little buddy, we gonna ride our bicycle from Tangelo up to the Kmart on OVT and Sand Lake Road. It was a and I'm gonna steal some eight track tapes. I stole the tapes and my friend, the people, let me check your socks. <laughs> and my friend ran and I couldn't run and I got arrested. My mom them is out of town and I had to call my aunt. And my aunt came and got me and took me home. She said, hey, I ain't gonna whoop you, I ain't gonna do nothing, your mom not gonna do this. And, and so my mom came home and and they they didn't even whoop me or anything. And they just said, I hope you learned your lesson. Because I was stuck in this little room, man, with a concrete bench on with with it's floor, you know, and they had the air conditioning, the colder to get, you know, and I didn't have anything to eat or anything like that. That was a punishment enough, and I never got arrested again. Very seldom got in trouble. At least I didn't get caught. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but because I, I, I didn't want to go back to jail, you know. Yeah. And it was just juvenile, you know. Yeah. So but so trouble wasn't one of my things that I did trouble, but like, like I say, I was pretty savvy about it. Before we before we close this out, is there anything that uh that you'd like to pass on to the younger generation of firefighters. Even I, I know there's law enforcement that listens to this and there's, and there's military personnel that listen to this show. You got any advice for, for young service members, public safety uh, personnel that are. Um... I'm gonna, um, it's a real simple closure. It's just one statement. And it's a statement I, I gave you part of it from that executive development that I went to. 
just remember this, all that you are, you are, all that I am, I owe. I live my life totally in the red. As long as you live your life, you owe somebody something, you know, and it's, it's, it's not that you're there because, yeah, you put in the work, but somebody made an opportunity for you to do that. So all that you, all that I am, I owe. I live my life totally in the red. You know, all that I am, I owe. I, owe. I will live my live life, my life in the red. only in the red. And I don't know if you remember Roy Gerald's. Roy Gerald's was a, a Orlando Fire Department um, battalion chief, a district chief over there, and he was one of the first instructors of that EDI program. And, and that's what they came up with. I got the book right here somewhere and that statement is on that book. All that I am, I owe, I live my life totally in the red. Another, another thing that I, I like to ask is, do you have a favorite book that you recommend to people if they ask you? And believe it or not, it's the art of war. And uh, uh, one of them, a, a chief from that, you know, I respect it at one time, you know, but we kind of fell apart. I won't say his name, but he taught me that book and that kind of taught me how to choose my battles. And it's all of war about battles art and teaches about simple things as it's easy to uh, defeat you when you're divided. The Art of War by Sun Tzu. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is that it? This is it. This is it. <laughs> yeah. This um, this is one of the versions that I have because mm -hmm. you know, there's different there's different translations. I have another. That that teaches you a lot, right there. That book, right there. Yeah. Well, Keith, thank you so much for allowing me to interview you. Thank you so much for. For how you've influenced my life and, and my career. Um, thank you for always being there when I've called you. And um, yeah, most importantly, thank you for your continued friendship because I, I still continue to learn from you. And um, you know, I, uh, I really appreciate it. And I know that um, the, the people that listen to this are going to uh, going to walk away a little more enriched. Um, and, and I hope there's some things that, that they'll remember for the rest of their lives. Um, and I'm sure there is. So. Yeah. Uh, well, I appreciate the opportunity for you to give me to tell my, my, my story a little bit, you know, cause, um, and one thing I know this is documented. So, if if somebody don't believe it in everything I told you, I got documentation to support it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> nothing, nothing that I didn't tell you is a lie. <laughs> you know, so it is it is true. And it, but you know what? But it was a fun. It's a fun ride, and I still got like you say, I still got work to do. You know, people look at somebody. People always look up to you for advice. You know, and, I, and I'm here for them. You know. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on your favorite podcast platform. 
and visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. My goal is and always will be to add value to as many people as possible. So if I can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with me via email or on one of my social media accounts linked on the homepage of my website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them, and the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.